You're listening to a Whales Are Whales production. You're also listening to Whales. Visit whalesorwhales.com for more projects and shows like this one. And welcome to Third Person, a storytelling podcast. This is a bookmark episode about beginnings and first acts. I am your host, Brian Kelly, and joining me today are my two co-hosts that have been here so far for every single episode. I am very impressed that I've been able to coerce them this effectively. So I'm basically impressed with myself more than anyone. Um, hello, Stephen. How are you doing? Good. Welcome to our audio library where fiction is a force of nature and everything's free. You have such better openings than I do. You should host again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Abigail, how are you doing? Hey, not as good as Stephen. I don't have a good line. I'm sorry. No, Stephen, did you write that down or is that just um, the top I was, of your head? I was furiously thinking about it while you were turning towards me. Oh, that's what me. I do too when I don't have to host. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty good. I kind of missed those days. Yeah, um, that was really impressive. Thanks. Yes, yeah, it was great, Stephen. Um, for that, I promote you to co-host. Wow. Wait, wasn't I already co-host? Nope. Oh. Wait, what about called life? I, I probably have called you a co-host, but you weren't really. Yeah, not really. Not am, really. Am I, I just, just participant? No, no, Abigail, you're totally a co-host. Oh, good. <laughs> anyway, uh, today we are talking about beginnings and first acts. And in case you don't know what a bookmark episode means and you're like just joining the podcast, basically, uh, we have two types of episodes and one is when we're reading through a book and currently we're reading through The Book Thief. And uh, the other is when we just discuss whatever about storytelling instead of whatever book we've been reading through. Um, and that's what a bookmark episode is. So we talk about different literary topics, for example, or just storytelling in general. Our last one was about endings and third acts of stories to celebrate the end of 2014. And now, to be all thematic and stuff, our first bookmark episode of 2015 is discussing beginnings and first acts. So... Um, yeah, that's that. Steven, do you have anything interesting to say about this? Um, <laughs> that's really interesting. Did I just lose all of the goodwill for my original Yeah, I pretty much just sprung that on you, so we do it. <laughs> well, so you know, you... one interesting thing to point out is that the reason this part of the show exists largely right. is so we have time to to read things, because it takes a long time to get Shh, through. Don't tell oh, I thought it you meant... It takes as long to read things. We're supermen, woman, people. Men, yes. Super people is the PC way of saying that. I've been looking for, you know, a thing to call our group here. I, super people works. So <laughs> how are you doing, super people? Uh, <laughs> I like you know, it. I can't decide in the spirit of talking about first acts if this has been a really good intro or a really bad intro to this episode. I think it's good. We're full of lively spirit for the new year. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> That's a fair point, Stephen. Um, so on that note, let's talk about other first acts, um, by beginning to define what first acts or beginnings are. Now, this is, should be pretty self-evident, at least as, if you don't know what beginnings are, I don't quite know what to tell you. Like, you well, might not be if you don't, we, let's start from the beginning. <laughs> that. Yeah. <laughs> Very good, Stephen. You're on a roll today. Um. So to give Abigail a turn, Abigail, how would you define first acts in a story? When I was a child, 
<laughs> Steven, I'm going to give the ball back to you. <laughs> a first act in the story obviously right. starts the story. It's where the first oh, words are. No matter where it starts. Like, honestly, a first act can be the last scene like as like a, like a flashback thing or whatever. Basically, it sets the premise. It lays the groundwork. It tells you who the characters yeah. are, what their struggles are. It may not tell you about the main plot, but it sure will hint at it. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good description. Anything you want to add to that, Stephen? Um, I would I would also say that third acts usually end when things wait, wait third acts or first acts. I mean, first acts. Yeah. First acts usually end when things really start to happen. Mm-hmm. When you know, it's sometimes it's a it's a big, terrible, um, uh, climactic event, or mm-hmm. other times it will be setting out on an adventure. It's usually like, all right. This is established, and now it's time to start trudging through the real part of the story. Yes, there is exactly. a format that I really love to actually combine with other formats called the three disasters and an ending format. Um, and it's basically like your your plot hangs around three main disasters. The first one is caused um, externally. Your characters have to face it. The second one is usually caused by the characters trying to solve the first one. And then the third one is, you know, kind of the same thing. Like, because they were solving this, the second one, this one happens. That's your climax. And then the third act is your ending. So basically how those would lay out is the ending of your first act is that first disaster. The first thing goes wrong. They're about to shift into the second act, which is problem solving. That's when they're solving most of the problems. And once they come to the climax, that's when you're shifting into the third act. So if you want to keep them straight, that's a really good way to think about it. Well yeah. said. I think also... Um... Something that you also brought my attention to a while back, Abigail, is that typically in a first act, a the lead character is being reactive to what's going on around mm-hmm. him. Um, he's not. Things are happening to him, and it takes maybe at the beginning or partway through the second act for mm-hmm. that character to say, make a decision and start reacting to what's going on around him. A, a mm-hmm. classic example of this is Frodo is basically just running uh, for the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring. He's running away from the Black Riders. He's trying to hide the ring. He's trying to meet up with Gandalf. He's basically just doing what he's told. Then that is the first act up until they come to Rivendell. Then when he decides he's going to take the ring to Mordor, that's when he starts taking action and agency in the story, and the second act really begins. Mm-hmm. I would say that that point, when you're switching from reaction to action, is usually the midpoint of your story. So it's usually about halfway through the second act. Right. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a second act thing. You're always reacting in the first act, which doesn't mean, as you so wisely pointed out, it does not mean you're passive. You're like your act. Your character is still active. They're still actively trying for things. They're doing things. Right. But as far as the main plot goes, they're pretty much just reacting to everything. Around yeah. Them. And there are always going to be exceptions, but we have to speak in some general generalities oh, yeah. here. General Um so like the pirates. Else. Oh, go ahead, Steve. Well, I was just gonna say, like like the pirate code of honor, it's it's more more of a uh, set of guidelines. Yeah, you know? it's, it's <laughs> mostly it's more of a way to look at a story rather than to write a story. For instance, I wouldn't necessarily say, okay, I'm gonna sit down and write the story. So in the first act, my characters are going to be reacting to the situation. So this is what they do. Um, I would probably just start writing the story. Characters naturally react first before they can do anything else. Like people mm-hmm. react first before they can do anything else. You just got to make sure that you actually yeah. flip the switch and that they actually come up with some way to be proactive towards the end. Because yeah. that's when I've noticed that a lot of stories fail. Um, it's actually one reason I don't particularly love, um, what are they, like superhero movies? Yeah. Because usually the characters are just reacting to the bad guy for the entire thing. 
That's true. Um, and oh, the bad guy's doing this. I mean, it's the Superman exactly. conundrum. He can't actually be harmed. Yeah. I mean, except the million ways at this point they thought up that he can be harmed. But he just <laughs> has to run around, you know, preventing catastrophes. Exactly. He's basically like a glorified firefighter. And that's um, why supervillains are always so much more interesting than superheroes, because they're yeah. the ones coming up with a plan to destroy the world. Superheroes are just trying to stop their plan. You know, that's a really good point. I wish there were more stories out there, um, especially, you know, in the superhero mainstream where it begins with nothing is going on. And then the main character says, I'm going to do this thing and then goes out and does it. Mm -hmm. It seems like that's that really cool. rare. Yeah. So um, often, and this is true, not just for superhero stories, but so often your very normal, everyday, mild-mannered dude is walking down a mild-mannered, normal street and then something happens to him. He falls in a, a pit of um, alligators, which morphs him into an alligator. He, he, right. his parents mm -hmm. are killed twice. Like any, like some terrible thing happens to him, mm -hmm. and then he spends the rest of the story um, trying to <laughs> trying to like make that one thing right. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, yeah. he's either like, trying to make it one right, or he's just trying to cope with it. Yes, it's yeah. almost like the characters become a slave to this one thing that happened to them. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm curious, as a little thought exercise, can you think of a good story wherein there's nothing going on except the protagonist decides to do something, and that's the plot? Ooh. I wouldn't say that that's a great way to build a plot. I mean, things are going to happen outside of the protagonist. Um, things can happen for sure, I'm but I mean, the like, driving force force being the person's will and something they want to execute rather than reacting to another person's driving will okay all right all right how about this um this is a relatively unknown um story but i know we okay. both read it kenobi which is mm. a story about obi-wan kenobi living on tatooine in between episodes three and four of star wars um hmm. and yes there are things that get his attention and there are bad things going on on tatooine but Am I correct in saying that he decides to get entangled? Oh, you, you are correct that he gets entangled. However, he, in my opinion, that's the opposite of what we're looking for in that his entire thing is he just wants to be left alone. Um, he's trying to live the life of a hermit and he mm -hmm. gets pulled into this other guy's crazy scheme and stops it. Um, so that's not because yeah, he did not hatch true. a plan and move it forward. And he was arguably not even the protagonist of the book because he was a side character. Uh, you only got to, you know, follow him every once in a while. You're mostly following that uh, settler woman they set up uh, at the That's beginning true. of the book. So, or you are following, you know, that guy who is turned into the antagonist throughout it. So I think that's another example of him reacting to someone else's plan. If if the settler was the protagonist, that um, that kind of gambler guy, I suppose that would have been the protagonist setting up the plan because that guy was executing his plan. That's true. I you're right. I had kind of... All right, Abigail. Sorry, go ahead. I'm going to break in there. Um, something that I thought of, and I think it may be a cheater because it does technically follow the villain, but Death Note. Yeah. I would say, okay, and here's where it gets a little fuzzy. Because technically, everything that happens in Death Note happens because someone other than the main character does something. Um, uh, oh, shoot. What's his name? The god, the god of death, um, Ryuk. Uh, oh, yeah. He drops his Death Note into the human world. That's technically the catalyst for everything, because without that, nothing else would have happened. However, right. the story starts when Light picks up the Death Note and says, I'm going to use this to make the world a better place. Yeah. And that's and what a... he does. And I would say that's the catalyst mm -hmm. that starts the entire story. Um, it's a little bit cheatery because it is following the villain. 
and mm-hmm. it's basically the plot of I'm going to take over the world, only he thinks he's good. Yeah. Um. So, like, nothing, I don't think anything can happen without multiple influences. It's, I don't think it's ever just oh, no. one person, but that's probably the best one I can think of. That's a perfect example for what I'm looking for in the idea that the protagonist is the one coming out with a plan. And I think that's one of the things that made Death Note so fascinating. It wasn't just a crime drama of, you know, you're following L who's trying to solve a crime. You're following the guy who gets to set everything up and put it into motion. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when fiction has super interesting characters like Sherlock Holmes, again, they're reactive characters who are solving other people's problems. Mm-hmm. It would be really interesting to follow a Sherlock Holmes who put his own plans into motion. Uh, instead of just following up other people's plans. Well, this Uh, maybe isn't an example of characters thinking up their own dynamic, almost villain-esque plans, but mm -hmm. uh, I have a friend, and his name is Zachary, and Zachary loves anime. And for a while, we did a little sideshow where um, he would introduce me to different various genres of anime, and I would react oftentimes um, aghast or in horror. Um, And one of the... uh, the genres I learned about was called Slice of Life, which is rather popular in mm-hmm. anime circles. Um, and I don't know how, like, how generally known this is, but I didn't know anything about it. Um, and the whole point of these kinds of shows are simply to follow a cast of characters as they go about their normal days. This and seems like an idea I would come up with and you would tell me is super stupid. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say it's a good idea because it's like <laughs> there's nothing really traumatic that tends to happen in these shows. Oftentimes yeah. there's not even a plot. It's just people living basically and the book thief is almost a slice of life book not quite if the book thief didn't have such a um kind of an earth shattering plot around it and you know the jew comes in everything gets real scary and death making it sound like it's a linear story that has a conclusion he's getting to Um, but yes it has a lot of slice of life components to it um tom sawyer could be a slice of life and if green gables is a slice of life yeah yep right that's actually, it's funny because Anne of Green Gables, I haven't read the books, unfortunately. Taryn, my friend, would slap me for that. Um, but <laughs> I, I have watched the movies, um, especially that first movie. It is mm-hmm. probably one of the most enjoyable experiences that I have in my entire year whenever I watch that movie. Um, and yeah. nothing happens. Nothing happens. Yep. It's literally just this one girl going through her life. But it's so interesting. <laughs> Yeah, that book I have vague memories of like maybe 12 years ago, uh, my mom read it out loud to me. Um, Mm -hmm. And I remember that or maybe even longer ago. It's like one of the first books we read together. And it was just really enjoyable, really. It isn't like most stories because it's not trying to reach some big conclusion. It's just allowing you, it's not having to build up tension and then break it. It's just allowing you to go with the character. Exactly. Uh, which is really cool. And when, when you do um, follow I get head back like to, Anne, to openings in first acts. Yeah. I think we just totally got cut off with the timing. I think so. <laughs> suddenly, suddenly Abigail's turned into a, a cyborg. Well, well, we wait for her to uncyborgize. Uh, hey, Steve have I been uncyborgized? <laughs> okay. Um, a little bit. Sort of. <laughs> it's super laggy. I'm just going to stop talking okay, for the rest so of the podcast. Should, do you want me to continue? Just go ahead, Stephen, for now. <laughs> Not the rest of the podcast, but just for a little bit. <laughs> okay, yeah. All right. So to get back to first acts and openings. Yeah. Um, coming from a fantasy background when it comes to writing, mm-hmm. there is an enormous problem <laughs> in that genre. 
about the openings yeah. of stories. And I think it it ties into what we were talking about in terms of reacting um, in that it almost always starts out. They might have an interesting prologue, but then it so often jumps to some random either farmer or nobody or kid on the street who is then, you know, reacting to whatever horrible cataclysmic event is happening. Again, you bring up Lord of the Rings totally did this. Uh, it falls in most of the bad tropes we come we come up with. It did the same thing in third acts, but somehow it does them well because they that weren't as overdone. Is the story of the Lord of the Rings life? It does everything wrong and yet somehow comes out okay. Let, let well, me make a, let most me... of the reason it's wrong is because everyone aped it and did it poorly. Yeah. Uh, so let, let me give a little little contrasting example. Then that's a good point. That's a good point. Okay, so the Lord of the Rings versus a uh, let's say the Legend of Zelda. Okay. Um, fairly well-known story. I will say The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. All right. In that game, um, the whole story starts off with Link living in a sleepy little boring village. Um, and yes. because that game, that story, is built to be exciting and adventurous, the, the memorable parts are meant to be the boss battles. Or, or even when it is a sleepy little town like you encounter later on, you you pass through as an adventurer, a wanderer, and you you find hidden hidden you know hidden treasures, and um, that's what that story is about. The story mm -hmm. is not meant to be this um, like small nothing happens slice of life. So when they try to do that, just for the sake of you know that's how you tell a fantasy story, you have to have that slow arc. It turns it devolves into basically. Um, mini game collections and lots of talking and text which is not what that story is good at um and t it tries to take its time and meander along but it, it ends up just stalling and becoming very boring um that's right. your first impression of the game i mm -hmm. would compare that to lord of the rings by saying that story was coming straight off chronologically the hobbit and so there's already a the lot. The Hobbit had so much action, though. There was like a whole movie of it. <laughs> That's oh true. God, there's it's, a whole three movies of it. It's, <laughs> it's third act, like, was an action film. Um, I mm. think Samuel L. Jackson was even a dwarf in the background. I think point. he played Sauron. Yeah, I think he did. Um, but The Lord of the Rings also takes its time. I mean, in fact, it takes like 17 years, technically. But it does it in a way that sets up... Um, like a deep-rooted love for the Shire and paints a picture that is fun in its own to explore. I could have read a whole book about just the hobbits going off and doing their hobbit things. Well, in Lord of the Rings, wars and conflict seems like an incidental or just a, um, what would you say, an interruption to what the world is truly about. Like war mm -hmm. truly feels like a uh, an unknown to the world. Like combat is exactly. not focused upon in that world. Mm -hmm. And it is, it disrupts the things like the ints or the hobbits or the elves. That is obviously the real meaning and beauty of that world on well, something, you know, like Legend of Zelda, the combat and the conflict of Ganondorf versus Link is like what that world's about. Precisely. Um, so that, that is a very good point. And I think people kind of throw in token first acts a lot of the time of, okay, we need to sleepy they throw village. In Tolkien first acts. <laughs> <laughs> Token Tolkien first acts where it's just like, here's our sleepy village or here's our, um, you know, kid living on the streets who has to work up from that. You know, it, I mean, mm -hmm. I have trouble coming up with other examples because that's so many of them. Yeah. So <laughs> like, it's hard many to of them the are ways. the background of the main character. Um, right. And that still happens like in the recent Star Wars film. No, Star Trek. 
Star Trek, sorry. Yeah. Ah, the one with Chris Pine. Like you seen whole... Star Wars seven. <laughs> <All right. laughs> the whole first act is not even just about him as a kid. And like oh honestly, the whole first act is about his parents. <laughs> and then him. And then him again. And then he doesn't even get into Starfleet until like halfway through the movie. Yeah. Kind of weird. Yeah. There was a book, Stephen, that good, we both but... loved that had a huge problem with this um, that we discussed before the podcast. Do you know what I'm talking about? Patrick Rothfuss? Yes. Name, Name of the, of the wind. wind? Yes. <laughs> I I adore that story, but it man... It took like half the book, and that it. was like a thousand-page book or something. And that... Patrick Rothfuss is insanely skilled and creative and can make characters come alive like no one else, but I'm not quite sure, but he felt the need to give the whole... You know... He felt the need to give the whole um, fantasy backstory slowly, you know, walking around as a largely unrelatable, yeah. you know, like young boy who. And I know he was, um, you know, he, the whole book's uh, idea is that that chronicler is trying to get a history of this whole guy's whole life. Uh, but that protagonist was like so dynamic that he, I could have totally imagined him just saying nothing important happened until I was this age. Yeah. And, you know, just, you know, or skipping through it or mm-hmm. making it a really dynamic, interesting uh, origin story because it was such an a uh, unconventional way of telling it, having, you know, literally someone telling their story to someone. Um, but instead, it was very rote. And I didn't even really like the book until I was many, many chapters in. And then it's, you know, one of the greatest, I think, fantasy novels, at least modern fantasy novels out there. Oftentimes, when I start a book, the way that you hook me in the very first act and the very first few sentences is just make the character be doing something very interesting or yeah. say something very interesting. It can be relatively unrelated to the rest of the plot. Or maybe mm-hmm. I don't know the context of what they're doing, or I don't know who they are. I don't really care, because I'm watching something right. interesting. I remember opening this one book. Uh, it was a Star Wars book. Hey, look, it's Star Wars this time. Um, <gasps> it was a Star Wars book that my sister had gotten from the library. She was super into them. And I was like, mm-hmm. hey, well, I'll try it. It's Star Wars, but okay. So I open it, and I'm reading the first pages. And it's about four pages of Luke meditating. And trying to hover like rocks and stuff. And it's this calm, peaceful, like descriptions of the place. He's sitting and he's thinking, and I'm just like reading this and I close the books. I'm like, that's so boring. Um, whereas in contrast, something that would be really interesting, um, would be like the first couple lines of, guess what? The fault in our stars. Um, when the main character is opening with, um, you know, in, in this section of my 17th year, um, I was depressed because I was dying. Like, basically is what she says. Um, and so that's one of the most interesting ways to me to open a book. Because I'm like, oh, wait, what? what? You're, wait, what? And then it just makes me keep reading. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I think I think you're largely right. Especially because everyone wants to follow the the structure of the first act and so everyone's going to have the same idea of what makes a calm peaceful um we'll just we'll just call it the calm peaceful village even if it isn't literally a calm peaceful village that was luke's calm peaceful village well here's here's actually an interesting point is when you were first making that point i thought you were going to give that as an example of a good beginning because i'm like whoa they're opening with some established character meditating that is not how most books open (laughs) so like i was intrigued Uh, but it totally depends how it's written 
Um, yeah. But I, I definitely get the point you came across with that, Stephen, or, or Abigail, and I'm agreeing with your point, Stephen, that um, it's the reason that stuck out to me as a good opening is just because it's not what other things are. Right. Like, opening mm-hmm. with a character no, meditating I the same is reaction. not normal. But, yeah, no, um, it would have been great if it had opened with him meditating, maybe for the first paragraph or a couple paragraphs, and yeah. then something happened. But four pages. But it was four pages. <laughs> well, you know what had a great opening? What? Frozen. Oh gosh, yes. Frozen that's had true. A... Actually, that's the best. And it part was of the totally movie. unrelated to the rest of the movie. Okay, so that was the only up. problem with it. <laughs> you said okay, it was okay, Abigail. You said if it was unrelated, it was okay. <laughs> Relatively unrelated. One of my biggest disappointments in that film is that that style of song never came yep. back, and those characters yep. had nothing to do with the plot. But yeah. it was a great song. <laughs> okay, was. well let, let me let me let me put Frozen back under the rug so we don't have to fight about it anymore. All right. Instead. <laughs> Can I produce another example, or do we have more points about Luke meditating? Go for it. No. Okay, one of my favorite films... I mean, no, you can't provide another example. I want to talk about Luke, darn it. (laughs) Go ahead. I gazed into the great, vast pool that was the Force. (laughs) One by one, the rocks began to levitate. Okay, my examples from one of my favorite movies of all time, Toy Story. Oh, gosh, we're going back here. And the reason I'm going back to Toy Story, Toy Story 1, not 3 this Mm. time, is because that that movie wasn't so much about the story. It was about the concept. Really? Yeah. That's true. It should have called it Toy Concept. Um, (laughs) And briefly, I think the reason it was they nailed it so well was because it opened with something you wouldn't expect, which is a kid playing with his toys. That's just all it was. And it just decided to hang there for a while. And it just kept going. And he introduced all the characters by inventing his own wacky personalities for them. And it was just like, well, this isn't something movies do, let alone animated movies. We're, we're just seeing this very realistic portrayal of, like, an eight-year-old playing with all of his random toys scattered around his room. Then when he was yeah. done with that, it cut to, you know, the song in the opening, and it showed his friendship with this one toy. And it's like, well, this is a story about a, a child and his toys. And then he wanders off to ask his mom about uh, his the birthday preparations. And then Woody's like staring at him with, you know, blank toy face. And at some point, Woody's face like moves. It comes alive. And he's like, what? The birthday party's today? Okay, everyone, the coast is clear. And then all the toys come alive. And that is the whole concept. You Mm -hmm. get it. This is a world where the toys have a relationship with their owners and they are alive. And they have to hide that fact. It was all portrayed in that opening. And I thought that was really cool. And it was also an engaging opening. Yeah, speaking of that opening, even before Woody opens his mouth, um, I want to just point out in in that whole time, that did very, very many things right. Um, One, I mean, it's a credits opening. So you're expecting, okay, something's going to happen after the song over or after the song is over, that's, you know, that's what we expect. So we're going to hang around naturally. It introduces character of Andy as you see him, you know, playing with the toys. It also introduces the main plot, which is the birthday party. I mean, technically the main plot is them, um, you know, going on their adventure and whatnot, but the birthday party is the catalyst for that. So it's yeah. opening you up with, you know, the, the story. It's opening you up with a catchy song. It's opening you up with character. And then once you get, Woody opening his eyes, and that's when you get your, wow, that was cool, there's a toy, and he's alive. Um, But before that, you're hooked just because of the rest of, like, honestly, that that feeling of, wow, that's cool, can't carry you through an entire movie. It's character that carries you, it's story that carries you, it's it's all those things, which is what they established before they even had that factor. 
yeah. which was very, very tastefully done. Especially since you got the sensation that, um, at least in retrospect, Woody was watching everything, even in toy state. Like, you kind mm -hmm. of understood that he was lying on his side limp, but he was watching Andy and his Andy's mom very carefully <laughs> and was like taking in all this information to go report it to the rest of the toys. And mm -hmm. it was just, yeah. yeah, it was such a, such a great concept. So well portrayed. And they definitely start a lot of character also in that first meeting when he's talking with the different toys, yeah. um, they're responding to things, they're saying things and you just get a dynamic cast and it's just, you can't stop after that. You know, we, we talk about, we are very positive towards Toy Story in this podcast. Yes. I think it's like we are pro Toy Story. <laughs> it makes me really want to, we need to do episodes on all these movies at some point because I want to go back and watch them. It's been way too long since I saw the original mm -hmm. or three for that matter. Uh, so let's see, how much time do we have left? Abigail, did you say you have somewhere to be at five? Mm -hmm. Five or five fifteen. Okay. Okay. We're five good. or five fifteen. We're good. On okay. Time. We're good. Is that be there at five or finish podcast? Finish podcast. All right, cool. So we got some. Now that everyone knows my evening plans. <laughs> yeah, the, well, it's going to come out like four days later, so I'm <laughs> not exactly going to be getting the live updates. Just right? follow you on so Twitter you for that. all know, I may or may not actually be doing something at 5.15 the day this comes out. This is so intrusive. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll edit this all out. <laughs> all right, so we're good on time. Um, before we jump into our little special segmenty thing here for the end, are there any other general notes you want to make about uh, first acts or what make them good, what make them bad? They're I mean, we've very covered it. important. What? I just want to say that they're very important. If you don't hook your reader during the first act as a writer, if you don't, and same thing with anything you write, honestly, whether it's you know an email or a book or a movie, if you don't hook them within that very first segment and give them a reason to keep going. They're not going to read it. So it doesn't uh -huh. matter what cool stuff you put in the end. It doesn't matter what cool cons, you know, struggles your characters go through. Nobody will read it if the first part is boring. Uh -huh. I've had some, I've struggled some with, you know, accepting that concept because it sounds a little shallow on its face. Like if you're not immediately shallow. appealing. <laughs> we're yeah, shallow. We're not immediately. You're shallow. Jeez, you're... Humans are shallow. There's a reason that people say you, you never judge a book by its cover. Um, honestly, that's false. Yep. You do judge a book by its cover. That's what the cover is for, and that's what well, humans well, do. Well, to be fair, the saying is telling people to stop doing that, <laughs> not saying they don't do it. Most advice well, exists because meant. people are doing the opposite of the advice. I honestly but got it point. backwards. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and then I never went, oh, judge I a book by its cover. <laughs> um, so I, I, <laughs> I half agree with what you're saying. Um, I think that, again, you, you kind of hit on it there that I wish it wasn't true, and I think that often I like to I like to invest enough time in things that the beginning doesn't matter too much, and then I can start to look past that and enjoy what's in it. You know, some of my most rewarding experiences, be they books or be they video games, are stuff that did not initially interest me mm -hmm. that I gave enough time to find interesting. However, that's not to say the given thing would have been wouldn't have been better with a good opening, and I think it's kind of a concession you do have to make to that short attention span or just to the limited time people have that a good opening is just going to be extremely important whether it should or shouldn't reflect on the rest of your work it will um and i mean so it's kind of just a reality you preferably have your whole story should be good duh okay we're past that point but <laughs> i don't think it's just people being you know like oh i just don't have the time for this or oh i'm just lazy and not looking deep enough like if i'm starting a book and i'm 
a fourth of the way through it and it's being lame and boring, I'm going to say, well, this book has been lame and boring for the past couple of hours. I guess I'll just read a different one. You know, it's like, yeah, but I almost did that with a book and it ended up being a series I absolutely loved when I got past that. So I guess what I'm saying is if you're talking about what's more important to the book in general, a bad ending is going to impact the overall book more than a bad beginning if someone reads through the entire thing, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, like, that, you'll yeah, forget absolutely. a bad beginning, but a bad ending will stick with you forever. So what I'm saying is it's kind of a concession to that idea that people can't stick through with things, that you have to put more work into mm -hmm. the beginning than it may otherwise deserve, because honestly, the rest of the book is as or more important if you could discount that idea of grabbing someone's interest. I think a big trick is if you have this twist that you're waiting to use, or you, you say, oh, it's going to get so interesting once these characters develop, it's really mm -hmm. on you, the, the, the writer, the, the, um, the, the, I don't know why I just have to kind of thought, the, okay, let's try this again. It's on you, <laughs> the story creator, or the author, yep. to find something compelling as well in the beginning, even if it's not the same yeah. thing that makes it compelling later on. Mm -hmm. You just, you can't say, oh, like, I tried to do this too. It was a natural thing when I tried to write my big crazy fantasy series that was going to have five books years ago. I'm like, this is going to be so awesome because it seems like it's the hero's tale. <laughs> but then once you get to like the end of the second book, everything changes. It's like, wait, that means I have to write two books that are the exact same thing you've read in a dozen other books. What I should have done is said everything's going to change, but there's also going to be something different and captivating in the beginning, well, too. We ran into that exact same problem when we were writing our last audio drama, Stephen, where we had this great twist that was going to happen right. at the end, and we decided to instead put that twist at the beginning and then make the whole plot work out, out of that twist. Yeah. I remember the repercussions of that twist. Yeah, you and I actually did something like that when we were planning one of my stories. I had this... Um, this great idea for, I mean, it's three, it was three books. Um, and I, it's something mm -hmm. I still want to write. And then you were the one who oh, gave yeah. me the idea of saying, Hey, why don't you make the ending of the third book, the ending of the first book, and then have them figure out what to do after that. Yep. Um, and, and that's almost always, yeah, it's a, it's a much more interesting story for sure. And another thing to get around this problem is just starting later. Cause sometimes you're big, you know, it's it's the same thing. It's not even yeah. the other one would be necessarily, you know, continuing it a little bit. You're moving it up. Sometimes yeah. you just need to not even don't care. I don't care about his childhood. Right. And this is something that a TV show that I talk about fairly often. Don't Buffy, say Arrow. Okay. Does, <laughs> Buffy does incredibly well because when Buffy comes to Sunnydale High, she's already a vampire slayer. That she was knows awesome. what vampire slaying means. She She's like, I know, don't give me the exposition dump. It's vampires. I have to kill them. I'm the chosen one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to do it. And that is such a more interesting opening than her having to cope with And later on, you get the satisfying, like, look back into the past, like, oh, she used to be shallow and clueless and had to learn all this on the ground up. Mm -hmm. But right. you didn't have to sit through that first thing, page one. Right. If you have to develop a character as your first thing, it can be a lot harder than being able to work with a developed character and then develop well, them. Well, another example, imagine how glorious the, well, maybe glorious is a strong word, but imagine how much better... <laughs> the Star Wars prequel trilogy would have been if they just started with Revenge of the Sith. Oh, that would have been right. awesome. Like, you, yeah. I mean, you think about the whole, like... Well, oh, they ended up making an entire TV show about the Clone Wars because they hey. didn't want to stop talking about exactly. it. Exactly. Like, I mean, like, yeah. imagine that Return of the Jedi ends, and it's like, wow, that was a great trilogy. And then years later, it starts up with a massive space battle. You're like, who's this guy? Wait a second. 
he has a clipped British accent. And then you hear Anakin go, Obi-Wan. And it's like, oh, this is this is Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then Obi-Wan says, Anakin. And it's like, oh, that's Darth Vader. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you because his childhood never exciting, ended up mattering very much. Yeah. And then you, you get to meet Count Dooku, all these characters. Once the big space battle's over, Anakin Skywalker goes back down to Coruscant and meets Padme. It's like, and oh, th- this yeah. is the mother figure we heard about. You get to you get to learn about it and through right. an interesting story rather and than have to go from like, the very beginning. Yeah, they could have told, you know, the important bits of how he is uh, brought up from Tatooine by Qui-Gon and all that through flashbacks um, throughout the three movies of what the Revenge of the Sith trilogy could have been. So, yeah, I think they could have covered their ground a lot easier that way. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, one other interesting thing I've noticed about Third Acts in general is often they are like separate campaigns, if you will, from the rest of the um, from the rest of the work. I think Star Wars especially does this. You look at the first act of Return of the Jedi, it's in Jabba's palace. It has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first act of Revenge of the Sith is basically, for the most part, going and rescuing the Chancellor from Grievous' ship. Like, has nothing to do with the rest. It's interesting when sometimes they segment first acts out like that. I would I would kind of disagree with you. Um, I think what you're talking about there is what Dan Wells likes to call the Ice Monster Prologue. Uh, which is basically pretty long prologues, though. That's true. They were pretty like long for Revenge prologues. of the Return of the Jedi. It's like a third of the movie. That's but I get true. your your point. Yeah, that is true. Um, I mean, I guess it depends on whether it sets anything up uh, and starts a disaster mm-hmm. going. In Reven- yeah, in Revenge of the Sith, it did um, it did start up some things. But it was there Dooku's is death that was the big thing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There, there is a really, a really common thing though when um, a story will start up with something literally completely unrelated. TV shows do this all the time. The yep. first scene right before the credits, especially in like a sitcom, has nothing to do with the rest of it. It's literally just yep. to give you a taste for what's coming next, which isn't and, always bad. It just has to tie in. <laughs> in crime dramas, it's typically the murder, but that's yeah. more plot relevant. Well, it's, I would, it's I would kind say... of the same thing though. It's saying this is what you're yeah. gonna get. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's a really good point. I do think they conflate a lot. Return of the Jedi. Whoa! <laughs> I knocked something off my desk. I'm good. Not dead. Anyway, uh, Return of the Jedi is really interesting because it almost feels like the whole thing was just housekeeping of, oh, wait, we have to get Han back. I guess we'll <laughs> do this that, for like yeah. 40 minutes. That's the big difference between that and, say, Revenge of the Sith, where Revenge of the Sith <laughs> was A, shorter, and B, showing you what the war was like and setting up Anakin's dark side and all that. It was important. And, and, you know, Return of the Jedi, you could have taken that out and... It doesn't matter. It's not like none of it. at the end, Emperor Palpatine says, but you don't realize I've resurrected Jabba the Hutt. It's yeah. like, oh! <laughs> it's, no. No one ever thinks about it, has it again. It nothing to do with the rest of the movie. It's re- I, In fact, there's almost not a an opening I can think of that's so disconnected and so long. Which is one of the reasons like, I think that's definitely the weakest of the original Star Wars. Yeah. The like, only Hoth good thing about worked. that scene is it was really entertaining. Yeah. Well, I think that that's kind of what we were saying. Even though it wasn't related, it was interesting. Like, yeah. it yeah. opened with, whoa. I mean, other than, okay, it technically opened, like, with Darth Vader and Palpatine plotting or something. But once it went to Tatooine, it was just poor, lonely C-3PO walking up to a giant door and knocking on it. It's like, well, that's weird and very unlike how the other movies have started. Right. Um, but, yeah, they didn't really tie it together in the end. So, yeah, I just thought it was interesting how that's true, Abigail, the ten as it conflates with that whole idea of a prologue. But I think also sometimes it's the first acts that are so specifically disconnected and two mm-hmm. or three kind of roll into each other in terms of, like, setting, I think. Sometimes that happens. Um, I tend to, it's kind of funny because I tend to find the same problem with third acts. 
Yeah. Because oftentimes they're just completely, like, everything's gotten so inflated. That's a completely different story. The first act was super mundane and kind of weird, mm-hmm. but maybe interesting. And then the third pla- a third act is super, super inflated. And you're like, what was the story? <laughs> I don't yeah, know. And- Disconnecting it isn't always bad. Sometimes it's really nice having that jarring plot. I think, mm-hmm. like, it, to use Star Wars again, I think Empire Strikes Back worked really well having Hoth, and then mm-hmm. the Millennium Falcon went one direction, Luke went the other direction, and you started into your second acts for all the characters. That worked, worked pretty well. Yeah, um, but And it that one was more like a prologue, something. because it was kind of short. Oh, I mean, and it literally <laughs> had an ice monster. <laughs> it literally had an ice monster. I assume that was where the phrase came from. No, actually, the phrase came from, uh, let's see, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones oh, yeah, also yeah, yeah. starts with an ice monster that's legitimately made of ice. And yeah, then it, it goes into completely normal, no fantasy kind of stuff. Oh. So it's saying, oh, there is fantasy, but now here's all the normal stuff. Yeah, the ice monster prologue in Empire Strikes Back would have been fighting the uh, Wampa, and then the rest of Hoth would have been the first act. Mm-hmm, but uh, much. Probably. But yeah, that is super similar to the Game of Thrones opening, which was, you know, the people stumbling across the terror in the north in the woods and then mm-hmm. it just jumped over to something completely different. Yep. Um, so that's interesting. And that's one thing I want to do before our final little segment here is just quick note, prologues and first acts. How would you how would you differentiate the two? Like, and what do you think makes a good prologue when uh, stories decide to throw those in? To me, a prologue would be segmented oftentimes with a space of time between it and the rest of the story mm-hmm. or a completely different character right yeah. it's pretty common. that goes to a different place with a different mood and sets up something oftentimes something mysterious or important to the plot that basically it's a mood setter it makes you think about something it gives you information yeah. you need to know to embark yeah. on the real story like the lord of the rings books do not have a prologue unless you count concerning hobbits which is more of like pre-book appendices. i would I would um, say that that's the first act. The, wait, concerning Hobbit's the little bit, like I'm talking the lore bit about Hobbit history at the beginning, not. The oh, are you talking about the movies? <laughs> no, I'm talking at the book. There's concerning Hobbit's is yeah. a section in the book. Isn't that, that isn't that when the eleventy first birthday comes up? Is in that chapter? Uh, no, that's right after that. Is to say mm. it was Bilbo's eleventy first uh, birthday, and that's when the actual book starts. Concerning Hobbits, I believe, is like an appendices bit that goes into like all oh, the history okay. of the Hobbits. Yeah, I would consider um, that a prologue. Yeah, so that would be a prologue, I guess. Um, and in the movies, the prologue was the whole uh, Galadriel narrating the history mm-hmm. of the Ring and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and if that's actually a really good point because the movies and the books were very different in that way, um, in that they were both promising two different things. The books were promising, yep. hey, this is this cool lore, this is this cool world, this is this cool world building. Hobbits. <laughs> and, you know, hobbits are a thing and they're cool. The yeah. movies were saying this is an action film and it's going to be really cool. So that's yeah, why that that's they had a, to change the prologues. That's a really good point. Uh, they wanted to set up mystery and movie. I mean, all of that prologue stuff the in the book was just, at some point, Gandalf and Frodo sit down and have a really, really long That's conversation. The, thing. <laughs> the other thing is the book didn't want to have to break up the movie and to give all this I exposition. I think that's one of the most important things about, especially the prologue, but also first acts, it's, it's letting you know what you're in for. It's like, mm-hmm. did yeah. you find this interesting and exciting? Good, because that's what we're aiming for. Exactly. Yeah. The exposition was so good in... Um, and just and the prologue was so good in the Lord of the Rings movie prologue. Yeah. Like that is one of my very favorite. They prologues. both delivered exactly what they wanted to. Exactly. It is like blatant exposition. There's nothing else going on, but it's so well shot and well told and well uh like 
choreographed and the music and everything is so fantastic that you don't mind it being exposition at all. It's getting you excited about this world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, not boring you. Yeah. I would just, I would basically say that, that as far as prologues go, that's, that's what makes them important. It is something that is obviously cut off. It is often told by another character or about another character or from a completely different time. Um, for instance, as my final, uh, my final thought on prologues, mm-hmm. I would bring it back to the book thief because that one started with prologue as well. It started with yep. death talking about colors and the three times that he saw the um the book thief and it has it it is related to the story but it is loosely related to the story it does not directly involve Liesel necessarily as a character mm-hmm. it involves death as a character so it's introducing our narrator it's introducing the style of book that it is it's introducing a lot of that slower paced aspect so once you go into right. the first chapter you're not expecting some huge action flick you're expecting this thought provoking narrative which is what you get yeah so that's a, that's I would, a very that's good that's kind of my final it's really just a promise for what you're getting it doesn't have yeah, to I be think the prologue, related the prologue is a really good glimpse into the future because especially if you're gonna have a slow first act the prologue can say listen this is what you're gonna get to especially in fantasy books where typically mm-hmm. what you get to is a lot more grand than what you start with so it's like just wait and you'll get to that now you can go through the first act and <laughs> now you can see harry potter under the stairs and no one cares exactly exactly um all right so for our last little bit here we're going to do a lightning version of what we did last time which is just bringing up an example of a first act and then us all giving it a letter grade and how we think it did um but we'll try to keep it to a few minutes how many letters are we allowed to do her evening plans how many letters can we use uh one (laughs) okay what how far down the alphabet you can't do ss oh no can i I give it like a an r or no we we we're you know, I think yes. F is your bottom. <laughs> okay, gotcha. You can go below F if you want, but it would have to be pretty darn good. Okay. Uh, so, Stephen, you first. Um, okay. I'm going to say, let's see, I'm going to try to pick one both of you are familiar with. How about, mm-hmm. um, ooh, ooh, um, Hunger Games, book one. Hunger Games, mm-hmm. book one. Um, first act. Yeah. Trying to remember it. <laughs> first act, I remember it being less interesting than the other acts. The first act mostly yeah. opened with the establishing the hard life that everyone had to live, and then uh, protagonist, what's her name? Um, Katniss. Katniss said, I'll go in place with my sister since you had learned all about the Hunger Games. And, and then it was her heading the to end. the giant city and learning how to be a Hunger Gamer. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it pretty much ends after she sacrifices herself. I did not care about that first bit at all. Uh, nah, really, I, mean, I was no. a little bit interested in the fact that the Hunger Games existed and what those were. But the rest of it just seems super depressing and crying, and I didn't like it. Okay, back of the book, super depressing and crying, and dot, 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 I didn't like it. <laughs> Abigail Hovensley. New York oh, Times bestseller. Yeah, I agree. I think I would give that one a D. Okay. Yeah, I would give I would give that one a D as well. It's not the worst that I've ever seen, but... I, I tend to agree with both three. of you. My my favorite part of that book actually was knowing how it worked on the Citadel or whatever they call it. That's Mass Effect. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, um, I know what you mean. I, I wanted, I wanted the a story act, in the second book to be about people running the Hunger Games and dealing with what they're doing so cool. to this world. But it really what is wasn't. the second book even about? Like, boring boring stuff. The second, okay, the second book is basically the same. It's the first. Wait, book. they get thrown in the Hunger Games again? Yeah. Oh, I gosh. couldn't make it through. Honestly, so okay, dumb. honestly, I liked the second book way better than the first book, 
but it was kind of like the cheap uh the, the cheap maybe if you read it first second yeah. that you get you know you go to a movie and then you see the hunger games 2 instead of the hunger games catching fire so it just has a two on it and that's how oh. you know it's just gonna be the same story over again yeah it's really dumb it was oh, pretty, well. yeah it was better <laughs> than the first one though because it started out faster and it was a more yeah. interesting setup because it had like Cool. Anyways, we we'll to move on. Hunger Games improved. All right. <laughs> um, so we all give it D's. Is that, yeah. is that the thing? All right. Uh, Abigail. Awesome. I have one, but I don't know if either of y'all read Harry Potter. The, the Stephen first did. Harry Potter? I did a long time ago, yeah. Yeah, the first Harry Potter. I have read the first Harry Potter twice. Okay. Just to remind awesome. you where the first act ends. Um, First act would end with him going to Hogwarts. So it There's opens. That, wow. Yeah. Basically, you see uh, it opens with Dumbledore having a conversation with McGonagall, and then you get to see Harry's hard life under the stairs, and then all these weird things start happening. He finds out he's a wizard, and he goes to Hogwarts. Right. I don't remember liking it very much, I would, but it was many, many years ago that I read that. I actually reread it about a year or two ago, okay. so I remember. I would give it so a... So my opinion is just whatever Steven says. Okay, so let's just pretend <laughs> Brian and I are talking at the same time. Um, <laughs> I would give it a C, because... Okay. Um, I would give it a C. Although, having to kind of... Uh, bear with harry's uh, like obnoxiously unrealistically terrible step parents or uncle or aunt or whatever they yeah. were um were was just kind of boring and tropish mm-hmm. but the very opening with dumbledore was awesome i love that scene it's so cool <laughs> it like has this weird like noir modern who is this strange man here like i, I remember reading that when i was much younger and being mm-hmm. like this book is going to be awesome and then it wasn't um and then also, heading off to Hogwarts, there's suddenly a bright future, and you're like, how does this world work? You have to, like, run through the wall of the train station. It's like, mm-hmm. there could be so much potential here. Um, and all of it was rather well-written. So that I give mm-hmm. it a pretty, I give it a, a, a strong C with with some boring sections. Mm-hmm. And you, Abigail? I, I'm, it's really hard for me to choose. I'm biased towards the series. Um, I want to give it a C in just the story content it was tropish but from yeah. what i can tell it was one of the first ones that did that um it, it was right. one of the early ones so i give it a little leeway it was at least yeah. um, one of the first I, that i think a lot of people saw it because people were in yeah. harry potter when they were fairly young so oh yeah 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 so many people have based their books off of harry potter um but so as as far as the story goes, it was kind of a C because his aunt and uncle were very annoying. But with the narration, honestly, I would up it to a B because I remember just being so pleased reading her words and going, oh my gosh, it's kind of like that same feeling you get when you read Tolkien and you're like, I just want to hear you talk. Yeah. Um, it was just so pleasant and I was willing to get through the stupid uncle because i knew that cool things were coming i saw the prologue i saw dumbledore and oh where are all these letters coming from that's kind of interesting um i guess you know his uncle is unreal unreasonably stupid but she kind of has a great storytelling voice on the yeah you know i agree i agree with that yeah so, so i'll probably give it a b before, okay so a b and then a c and then a c assumed um <laughs> so uh quick question steven mm-hmm. and abigail uh having read through some of those books and for Abigail, all of them. Do you recommend I read those at this point? Like, are they really good? Oh, yeah. I did not read the first one until I was 15. So I wasn't even a child, uh, necessarily. When I read it, I was pretty much a grown-up. I enjoyed the crap out of them. My sister, I think, was 18 when she read them, and she loved them. 
So get and them Stephen... on audiobook, get them read by Stephen Fry, and they will be totally worth your while. Oh my gosh, Stephen Fry reads them? Stephen Fry, he reads the British version, so you get words like Oh my gosh, then I'm absolutely going to do that. Yeah, it's uh, great. I don't even care if they're good books. <laughs> they're, they're, they are good books. We will have lots of good discussions. You'll have things you don't <laughs> like, but they're good. Uh, Stephen? Out of curiosity, what stopped you from keeping reading it? Because I know you're ready. Um, what I think the better question is what kept me reading it, um, because okay. I really am not a fan of this style of um, whimsy of oh, it's just fairy taleish um, British. Yeah, that kind of weird British like fable. If you ever played the fable games, it kind of has that. Yeah very sort of like sparkly whimsical magic and knights with their heads almost off but not entirely and they gave them funny names and it, just, <laughs> it, it never connected with me but it's so well uh -huh. written and kind of compelling to to just see oh what's going to happen in the next chapter oh that right. was that was a that was a cool invention that you just kind of want to keep going mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but when it came okay. to like and that's the end of the second book i'm like well i don't feel a great need to continue but i hear it gets better I, I will tell Fry you, the second was book narrating. was the worst one in the series. Yeah, and the movie was really boring oh, as well. <laughs> <laughs> the movie was less than trash. <laughs> so I probably should keep reading them at some point. You should try the third one. It was my favorite. Okay, yeah. What is the second one called? The second one is called The Chamber of Secrets. Yes. Oh, okay. And The Chamber of Secrets, spoiler, is a giant boring snake. What? Wow. <laughs> Thanks for ruining that's, that one, that's Stephen. That's really boring. <laughs> it Sorry, wasn't just the snake. It was also the diary. Shh. Okay, now you're spoiling. <laughs> I don't. All right. So moving on uh, to mine. This is not a, this is not a lightning round, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Stop I let talking, guys... Stephen, and it will be. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, mine. Unfortunately, it's one Abigail won't be able to weigh in on because I kind of uh, wanted to throw a. It's okay, um, I left you out of mine, so. A video game in here mm -hmm. because we don't talk about those too often because we don't have a lot of shared experience. Stephen, Dragon Age Two. Ooh. That's interesting. Okay. Um, technically, technically, the game is split into three acts, and you're probably near the end of Act 1, okay. but I kind of see the end of the act, at least the prologue kind of first act, once you establish yourself in Kirkwall. And it starts up, well, it starts up when they jump forward in time. Yeah. All right. So you could call that a prologue. You could call that a first act. Dragon but Age. how the game works is the rest of the stuff kind of melds together from there until the end. Okay. Well, quick backstory. Dragon Age 2 follows up Dragon Age Origins. Dragon Age Origins was a very traditional epic fantasy Tolkien-esque world with a pretty traditional story and it was awesome. Dragon yeah. Age 2, because of, as far as I can tell, forced um, uh, super fast development time. Budget and time constraints. Yeah, it's a, it's a much, ones. much smaller game. And so they were forced to make the story much smaller as well. So it opens with one of my least favorite tropes, an interrogation scene. Um, oh, right, it does. And the story is told um, through this really kind of cocky, suave dwarf um, being interrogated by the Templars. Um, yeah. Who want to know the, all it, about this, this, this hero of Kirkwall. The really interesting thing about it, though, is they establish up front that you have an unreliable narrator. Yes. Because they have you doing all these ridiculous, like, flashy... Um, combat moves of like fighting a dragon and killing an ogre and um, taking out swarms of orcs and then the uh, the interrogator just stops him and says that that is not what happened and then he's like fine and then starts telling the real story. Um, so it was an interesting kind of And what's, kind what's of really cool about that it. is it's narratively interesting, but it also was able to tie that into the gameplay because it's, it's, it was a combat a game. tutorial. Yeah. So it taught you how to play the game while giving you like every possible move at, at once. So you could just. Right. And then, you know, once you really start, you have like two moves. It's like, okay, you have yeah. two powers to use here. 
It was kind of that prologue way um, of telling you what was coming in gameplay. And also. so what I liked so. about it, though, was it was so small. It was just your family yeah. running from the Darkspawn and coming refugees. to Kirkwall, which is a city that was um, reconfigured from a vast ancient prison and is now a in, like an economy-boosted um, city. Um, right. So it was kind of an awful place. At least its history is awful. Um, I really liked how small the plot was. Like, you're just there trying to get the guards to let you in. Um, and you're just there with your family. And, and once it jumps forward in time, one of the brilliant things is that everyone in Kirkwall knows you because you've lived there for a year, even though you didn't get to see it. So that's a really... Yeah, it's very much, very much the idea of jumping forward and not making you live through getting yourself established, right. which is really, really hard to do, um, what would you say, fluidly in a video game because you just do quests for people or whatever. Instead, they jump forward, so all of your party members are out doing their own thing. One of them joined the guard. One of them got a house, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a really, really smart way of opening a video game. It's also just so much more like intimate and small than video games, especially large-budget fantasy video games ever decide to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you never just play as a as a refugee from war like if you start out you know you're the chosen one in a small town but it was a very for a book it's not like that unorthodox but in terms of how video games tell stories i thought it was very unorthodox and immediately got me interested in what was going on yeah i I wanted i wanted to know more about my family more about my friends and everything felt different and strange yeah and like i really had about yeah not like i had a grand adventure to go on but i had a life to live um and that said it didn't you know it's just kind of a bunch of quests strung randomly together from that point yeah, on, it's and it's perfect. not super interesting. So I might give it a, a, a B. Um, yeah, it was really it compelling. Especially and, for a game. Yeah, and I'd like to see more stuff like that. All right, and we have to end now. Um, Abigail. Yes. Thank you for joining us. You can go even leave now if you want, and I can do the rest of the episode. Okay, cool. Sounds good. Well, I'll <laughs> see y'all next time. Go read All a right, book. Bye-bye. Or hug a book. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. All right. Um, if you want to find her on the Twitters, she is the Thinky Reader, um, and she has a bunch of blogs and stuff you should be able to find from Twitter. Mm-hmm. So go do that mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Are you back? All right. If you went and did that, you we can now move on to the rest of our outro. Uh-huh. Um, I thought this was a fun episode, Stephen. Me too. I thought it was very good. Yes. Um, I really like bookmark episodes. Yeah, they're fun. Um, I Here's a question for the audience and for you um, at yeah. the same time. Um. Do you think that we spend too much of our bookmark episodes bringing up examples of existing fiction and just talking about them and comparing them? Or is that is that the the mechanics by which we can converse in a writerly fashion and it is a good thing? Um, I think we did it a lot these episodes, but I think these were two very similar bookmark episodes that both had a segment all about doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, every book has a third act and a first act, so mm-hmm. it's so easy to come up with examples that I think if it became too much of a trend, it could get stale, but I think for these, it made a lot of sense and hopefully led to good discussion. However, if anyone disagrees with me or has any feedback on whether we should do that more or less, please comment on whatever you, way you can. Tweet us, Facebook, um leave an itunes review all about that whatever <laughs> maybe just, you should just, yeah maybe that's a bad <laughs> just idea. let us know um uh, just let us know um yeah but that's a good point but i think for these it made made sense yeah okay um so speaking of places you can find us we are on itunes uh third person uh a storytelling podcast find us there please if you like us at all if you listen to us at all if you're a human being 
who has any moral conscience whatsoever, <laughs> leave us a review on iTunes. Or, or you can even just start by tweeting us. Or tweet us. I'd, I'd, I'd rather iTunes. have people communicate with us rather than just leave reviews. I would rather have them leave a review. No, <laughs> do both. Do both. Uh, yeah, or tweet us. Tweet at us. Comment on our Facebook posts. What have you. Um, so yeah, we're on Facebook, Third Person is Storytelling Podcast. We're on Twitter at Third Person Show. You can email us at thirdpersonshow at gmail.com. We are... Um, at, oh, yes, we are a show of the Whales Are Whales Network. So you can find other shows like this with people like us at whalesarewhales.com and find all of our archives and social media links there. We will be on the front page. You'll see our logo and all that. Uh, personally on Twitter, I am Lord Meldor. I'm going to try to be more active, though. Be forewarned, I post a lot about Hearthstone, which is a uh, trading card uh, video game from Blizzard entertainment makes world of warcraft and stuff and it's amazing and you should play that and if you ever want to play hearthstone with someone let me know steven yeah you are on twitter too yep i'm you found the sequel to twitter <laughs> very few other people know twitter too is really bad but the movie is even worse and at the end there's a giant boring snake um oh and uh, uh, i'm steven kelly you... 180 here uh on twitter too and twitter one awesome and on our next episode, we're going back to uh, reading through the book we're talking about. Uh, we're on the third act of it, or the third part, so it's going to finish out The Book Thief, which is the book Abigail's brought for us to read this season. Um, that is going to be parts uh, seven through the epilogue. So if you want to re read along, just find the book and, uh, yeah, finish it. <laughs> Wherever you finish are, and make sure fight, you finish everyone. the book. I can't because wait we going to, to see how that book ends and talk about it. Yeah, I'm really curious if we're going to like it or not like the ending because we had such mixed feelings on it throughout yeah. so that could really tie up like we might all come away with wildly different it, that is it. so possible um so yeah join us next week for that it's just uh gonna be sunday as always um and that does it for the outro any anything else i missed there steven or you want to um i would like to have a show about um protagonists without agency and I would like to have some Harry Potter uh, beef and see if Abigail can uh, quell oh, my really? fears. Harry Potter just reacts to everyone. Harry Potter is is every man okay. 101 face. Um, and really? only his friends are interesting. <laughs> At least that's what I thought. I thought he was interesting. I thought, I remembered him like lying and sneaking around a lot. But only in his very wibbly wobbly, like, oh, you guys, I better do this. Oh, so he's from a JRPG? Yeah, essentially. Oh, gosh. I don't want to read that book anymore. Now, Ron, okay, this is getting off. Well, I guess if Steve Fry voiced the protagonist of a JRPG, I'd play that yeah, too. Probably so. Anyway, that's all. That's neither. Anyway, here I just wanted to just put that down. That would all be right. a good show. Uh, I think I have a whole little note here for show ideas. Let me see if Great. I do. Uh, episode ideas. So I'm going to do. Uh, put this on here. What, what was it again? Um, I would. Oh, yeah, yeah, protagonist without protagonist agency. without agency. Yes. I'm going to bring up so many JRPGs and make Zach so mad. It's going to be great. Because <laughs> um, that's every JRPG pretty much. Yeah. Um. All right, I think we're done. Great, uh, Stephen. I'm gonna give you the guest honors of coming up with an outro tagline this week. Um. All right. Um. um uh. Okay. Let's say. Um. All right, folks. We had a good time. Time to turn the page. You like bumped your microphone. Okay, let me try it again. Do that again. All right, folks. We had a great time. Time to turn the page. I liked it, but I think you need, like, a little bit more, like, feeling. Oh, all right. All right, folks, we had a great time today, but now it's time to turn the page. No, that was more feeling. I need more like feeling. Like, um, all, all right, folks, um, 
I, I don't know. I don't Getting know. There. I don't know what you want All from right, me. Try it. Try it in a falsetto. Um. All right, folks. We had a great time today. Yeah.